Welcome to another episode of Ideas Digest. With me, Brooke and Conrad. This episode, I describe it as a bit of a slow ball. There's nothing I don't think that will be too challenging for many people, but the title is very clickbaity. And just like almost all clickbait, it's very misleading. So I'm just saying that up front (laughs) so you don't get 15 minutes into this episode and be like... When are they talking about more one night stands and sex? So, this is mostly not what we're talking about. Today, we speak with a longtime pal, first time podcast speaker, Mark Harrison. At the moment, full time world traveler and videographer. So, he's on the move all the time. And he's been in Australia the last couple of months, which is a long time for him. Yeah, he's really settled down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this would be called settling down for Mark. I, he wouldn't he wouldn't like to say this, but to just kind of get across what he does, he's a videographer, but he's kind of like an influencer. He gets on press trips and um, takes videos for tourism boards and stuff like that. So he's in a really unique, interesting, cool space uh, at the moment working where he's what he's doing for full-time work. So that's that's roughly what he's up to. And... I think that's really where the idea that he spoke about today is birthed from. Mm, that and space. he touches on where it comes from right in the beginning. So we won't give it anything too much away. But yes, it's very interesting conversation. Um, for me, I found it interesting because obviously I'm his friend. So I like to see his reflections. Brooke just likes to probe Mark <laughs> to find out what's going on deep down in your feelings, Mark. Tell us. Yeah. So if you like learning more about people, if you like talking about relationships if you like talking about hot topics like mindfulness you are going to enjoy this episode Hmm, it'll be a unique perspective so take a listen i'm right and you're wrong once you start labeling people categorizing of humans and ideas you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being to who they really are and in the marketplace of ideas these things are complicated man We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome to Ideas Digest, the podcast that engages with challenging ideas on the ground level, where we take 30 minutes to step beyond disagreement and look at the world from another perspective. It's the practice of humanizing controversy. Today, we are discussing a brand new idea, something that I hadn't considered, and here to share that idea with us is my good friend, polite Canadian gentleman, and former boss, Mark Harrison Four. Oh, sorry, that's your Instagram tag, <laughs> at Mark Harrison Four. <laughs> I confuse them sometimes. Good to have you here, Mark. Well, thank you for having me, Conrad. And Brooke. And Brooke. <laughs> and Brooke. <laughs> Brooke is also here. She's going to chime in with some questions, I feel, later on. I'll give a bit of an intro as to how I know Mark. Mark and I met on a boat cruise in the Whitsundays. Six years ago. Six years ago. I was, yeah, six years ago. Been in touch on and off. I'd visit him when I was in Canada. He'd visit us when, we're, when he was in Australia. And then one day, Brooke and I were looking to get out of our regular jobs and go overseas. And Mark here, he was a pretty high up executive at well, a school. <laughs> he was the deputy principal of a school in China. And I said, hey, bro, hook me up. And he did. And that's when I became the official third wheel of your guys' <laughs> It's true. It's true. Let's get to know Mark a little bit more. Tell me about your life's trajectory up until this point. Okay. I'll keep it brief. 
So as a kid, there was basically, it was skate or die. Skate or die, that was it till about 18. And then I went to university for six years, didn't become a doctor, well, te- became a teacher. Uh, didn't, didn't need six years, but it took six. The holidays got you. <laughs> yeah, some vacationing. Two years teaching in China, and then I stayed another two years because the vice principalship came up, and then that's when you entered the scene, my fourth year of China. And then I, teaching or, or working in schools, education wasn't fulfilling in the way that I wanted it to be. So I moved into filmmaking, and filmmaking was what I did when I was skateboarding. So I was making videos of each other skateboarding. So I had some history in that. So combining traveling and filmmaking together, I've been going almost two years now, full-time travel filmmaking. So that brings me up to now. And what about your religious background as yep. you've grown up? Grew up Christian, very conservative Christian. So we met in our homes, non-denominational Christian. We don't actually have a name for it. Maybe online it might be called Two by Twos. Tell us a little bit about your large family. Yes, I'm a proud uncle of nine nieces and nephews, of which four of them are twins. So <laughs> three, yeah, three siblings. Well, my parents moved over from England, so I have British, British descent. All my family is living in England except for my immediate close family which is in Canada, Toronto. Mark's got an idea, and he's going to clickbait it for us, because otherwise I'm not interested. If I'm not <laughs> outraged or, or intrigued, I don't want to even listen. So clickbait it for me. So the one that was on Instagram that we posted was, don't quit your job and travel the world. But then we realized that had very little to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> we just lost a member. Somebody just walked out. See ya. Thank you. Thanks for coming. See you later. I came up with one. There's nothing wrong with a one-night stand. <laughs> okay. Some people leaning forward a little bit too much, Zach. <laughs> Lean back. <laughs> All right. But obviously that doesn't give too much insight. So, so flesh it out for us sure. and tell us about it. The principle behind my idea is it's about relationships, but primarily about platonic and, and just friendships. The idea of the synopsis is I try not to allow time and longevity to dictate the value and depth of a relationship. So the longer the time goes, doesn't dictate how valuable or how deep a relationship is. The, the world has told us, if you're friends with a person for five years, you must be amazing friends with them. However, I've been friends with people for 10, 20 years, and we've only really been hanging out for two years. However, we're much closer than those people of 20 years. I've noticed that I do it with everything. If something is going to be a short amount of time, my general attitude is like, who cares? What's the point? And you're saying that you've come to the conclusion that that's not the way to evaluate the value of something. Well, when you're, when you're traveling, you meet people all the time. You meet them for a day, you meet them for a week, you, meet, you might meet them for a month. And a lot of times I would, I would see the relationship and be like, eh, it's going to end. It's going to end. What's the point? Why would I invest in that? It will come to an end. So I'll just dismiss it. And the other person was the same idea, dismiss the relationship. So whether that be platonic or a friendship, just the, the depth wasn't there there's a turning point where I changed my mind on that. Tell me about what led you to that point where it shifted your thinking. Okay. Starting to shift as I des- decided to take a life of basically homelessness is I don't have a home. I'm not living anywhere. I'm constantly saying goodbye to people and it, it gets harder and harder to always say goodbye, always say goodbye. So I'm like, why is it that like, if I'm, if I've chosen this for myself, why is it my, I'm not just going to accept this to be hard and only hard. So that thought process was going through my mind. However, the one thing that really clarified it for me was the movie The Arrival. Has anyone seen The Arrival? 
All right, let me briefly explain. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Don't watch it after I'm going to ruin it for you. Here's the premise of the movie Arrival. There's these eight alien pods come to Earth. I'm in. And these aliens have something to tell humans. However, they don't speak human language. And there's this linguist who's the main character of the movie. And she goes into the, the pod to try and understand, try and communicate with these aliens, see what they want. Initially, the aliens are perceived as dangerous. They try bombing them, fighting them. It doesn't work. And the, the aliens stay. And she eventually learns that the aliens are trying to come a tell her a message. And the message is basically, um, is it omnipresence where you don't see time as linear? Like you don't see the past and you see the future? Oh, that, that's multiple places at one time. Oh. But sure, something like that. You let's just say, yeah, she, they, she doesn't, the aliens don't see time as linear. So they don't see a past and a future. It's all just one being. There's no, t- there's no beginning, no end. And throughout the entire movie, you're seeing flashbacks of her and her relationship with her husband. And it's going very well. Eventually the relationship deteriorates when they learn that their child of three or four years old gets cancer and dies. And when that is such a painful experience for them that it ends up they cannot live together. They end up fighting over and bickering over little things, and eventually they break up. But later in the film, when she learns this language, what you see is she actually meets her husband, which you thought was flashbacks, what you thought you were seeing. She meets him for the first time. What she's been seeing is flash forwards. She knows what her future entails. She knows they'll get married, they'll have a kid, the kid will have cancer, the kid will die, and they will horribly, painfully separate. And now she enters into a choice. What do I do? And what do you think she does? She says yes. Of course she says yes. And, and the movie sort of ends. And I'm like, what? I looked into the movie, and basically she so understood that life is just a series of moments. They all begin, and they will all end. Our relationship will end. Everybody's relationship here will end. Why is she placing her importance on time or length to be important when she understands the amazing beauty she had with her husband and how with her child, even though the child's length of her life was only four years, the moments were so, so special that she relished them so much that she's like, you know what, it's worth it. The moments is all I have. It's all we have in this life because every relationship starts and ends. We just somehow, our society has dictated that longer is more important, but she's like, these moments are so precious that I still want them because they're so amazing to me because life is just a series of moments. It, it's kind of linking with the, the concept of mindfulness and being present because ultimately, and maybe it's, it's sound, it seems obvious when I hear it and go, yeah, I mean, of course we're all going to end, but I think I definitely let the painful goodbye or the fact that something's going to end dictate how much I value something and how much I, um, how much I invest in something as well. So it's almost as if a mechanism to avoid pain in the yes. future. Yes. Well, I would probably tend to avoid it and go, well, I don't want that pain, so I'm not going to accept any of the good moments right. that led up to it. Right. I was just going to say that part of that as well is thinking about the illusion of forever. You yes. say, oh, why would I enter into this co- relationship? Because I know that there's going to be pain in the end. Eventually, Conrad, one of us is going to die mm. and we're going to be left without each other. And I don't know. Obviously, he's never thought about that. Otherwise, he wouldn't have entered into the relationship (laughs) because of the pain that's coming. Mm -hmm. But I think about that a lot. And I actually... A little too much, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I think, oh, I'm like, what would I do if some... You know, people lose their partners midlife all the time. And that's such a core relationship that it can be part of your identity. So... I think it's really beautiful you brought that up because if you look at it like we will die, this will end, shoot, we better make the most of this moment because that's all we have. So it's the same thing. It goes back to, let's say I meet someone for a month. It's going to end, but I know that it'll end. So I'm like, shoot, let's make most of this sunset together. 
let's make the most of the one week we have on the road, in a car, on a road trip, whatever it is, is because of the death of the thing, the end of the thing that you can recognize as beauty. It's oftentimes that I will go home for holidays, and if I have two months at home, all of a sudden after day one, it's like I'm distant with my parents because I'm, oh, I got a long time. So this, uh, this thing of we have more time some, sometimes can be worse. Can devalue it if we don't relish in just the temporariness of it. The other example is Christmas is so valuable because it's once a year, whereas if Christmas was every day, there's no value. So, so time somehow is involved in creating its value, but I think Brooke said it really well, it's the myth of forever. We know we're all going to die. Yeah, I'm going to die. Sure, I can say that, but I live my life as if I'm not, and then the things that aren't going to last a long time are who cares? What's the point? I meet a person, I'm, not going, I'm never going to see him again, so why bother investing in, in them? I think another thing is with our society, I don't see us as a Western culture really embracing death, mm. really talking about it, really thinking about it. So you're saying that because things are finite, you want to hold on to them and be mindful and be present. But if we are, as a culture, avoiding the, fi the finiteness and avoiding death and avoiding the understanding that things are not going to last forever, that would probably hinder, hinder us mm -hmm. from being mindful yep. because we're not we're facing a reality of the finiteness of life. I often ask myself, where did I get this idea? Yeah. Where did it come from? Mm -hmm. And I think if we can all remember back to kindergarten, what did the teacher threaten us with? Do you remember? The future. Grade one. Grade one is, you better, mm -hmm. you better work hard. Grade one's coming. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you get to middle school, you get to grade six, and then, or maybe grade eight. And what's, what's next? Well, you better prepare for high school. It's going to kill you if you're not ready. Yeah. Prepare, prepare. You better be ready. You know, look forward to the future. Be, always prepare. And then high school is coming to an end, and the university is there. And, oh, man, you better work hard in university. You're going to mm. fail. And then what happens to you in university? Well, the real world. You know, what about the real world? You're never going to survive in the real world if you don't work hard and you don't get those, a, those A's and high good grades. And then what happens when, when you're in the real world? You better put away, okay, I don't know the name of the savings. Superannuation. Super, you better put away money to, to super because you could have set up yourself up for retirement. Mm. And then what happens when you're, you're in retirement? You're like, damn, like, where did my life go and I become a child again? And the driver of the future when you're always thinking of the future, that's fear. That's, that's, that's almost the motivating factor when you, when you think about that. And also control because we have this feeling that if we can know the future, if we can be in control of the future, then it's going to go the way that we want it to go. Mm. Yeah. yeah. How did you interact with relationships prior to this? So if we have two weeks together, yeah, maybe like it'll be all right, but I'm not going to drop my guard. I'm going to keep the shell up. I'm not going to be vulnerable because this relationship will end. So what's the point of me getting to know this person, learning from this person, if it will just end. So that was the way I used to think. How long is worth it? In that mindset, how long is it worth to get to know someone? When you're on a tour group, you're like, oh, I'm with these guys for a week, I'll get to know them. What about two days? What about one day? Yeah, don't is one day enough? Do you, should you bother? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, one day's tough, because it obviously there takes a certain amount of small talk to get to know someone. And oh yeah, small talk. Which we it's all important. hate, of, of course. But I mean, there may be a small, th small threshold of time that I don't necessarily no but for sure is I want to detach that from from that idea mm. I want to s stop keeping my guard up because of what, what is it is it my ego is it my is it my fear is it I might be hurt mm -hmm. is it hard to say goodbye or do I just want to recognize that 
These things are going to start. They're going to end, like everything. So why place a value on the length when you place the value on the depth? And what about now? How do you interact with people now? I am still struggle with it. Yeah. I still walk into, let's say, a hostel, and I say, ooh, that's a lot of people. Oops, hide. Like, it's, <laughs> like, especially if I'm busy or have work to do. But I think I just have lost the fear around knowing that they're going to leave and being okay with this chapter of my life has this person in it, and this will end, but that's okay. Yeah. I've often been so afraid to just, just tell people how you feel. Like you just never, you just assume people know how you feel. What don't you know as you're working this through and practicing it? When we are going to go towards your clickbait title, what is it? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with a one night stand. Cause that's, uh, that's a short relationship guys. <laughs> and Hey, don't let time determine its values. <laughs> so when it comes to intimate relationships, it's something I don't know. And I, I, yeah, I'm not sure I even know for myself. What I do know, no, I'll stick to what I do know, is I'm not afraid if it's an intimate relationship, because let's just say we know we have a month or two weeks together. Let's say one day is too short. We're going to go with one day too short. But let's say we have two weeks or a month. I'm, I feel like now I wouldn't be afraid to engage the idea of intimacy or, or some romance because I'm not so fixated on the month ending. I don't know where like, the whole marriage thing st stems into that idea, but I just... I've, I've kind of changed my outlook on that because I'm always moving around, bouncing around. I'm not afraid of the idea because of the... And one question, I, one question I would have is how much time is necessary to have some sort of depth of connection? Yeah, and you know, I, don't, I don't know that. And, like, does, and does a romantic relationship require more time? Does it, does it necessitate it? I, I'm not, I don't it, have it would be absurd of me to give romantic advice, I think. <laughs> uh, we're open to it. <laughs> yeah, it would be absurd, as I've had very few long-term relationships post, like, first year university. So it's been a long time, so I'm not going to attempt to say I know what's going on. I, with intentional time, is different. So personally for you, as you travel, how have you found connecting with people romantically? <laughs> <laughs> you have to ask that, hey? <laughs> oh. <laughs> How have I found connecting romantically with various people? I think it's also important, like, you, I often get the question, is how, like, how do you go without seeing your family? Do you, do you miss your friends? Do you miss having a partner? Is it impossible having a partner? Like, all these questions get asked me all the time, so I, I, I was forced to address them. When I came across somebody or a friend, and it, it seemed to me like it's a business transaction. There's a business agreement. Like, is this person getting more out of the relationship than me and that I'm, that I'm getting out of them? Is who's using who? And are we, are we both mutually benefiting? Or, you know what, this person's definitely, like, getting more out of this. Am I a mentor or something? Like, I would always look at it like some sort of transaction. And I think just detaching from that as well. Mm, it sounds like almost an infiltration of capitalism. That's how we interact with almost everything. I pay money, then I get something. The value of something to to me is what I can get out of it. That determines the value. It's based all solely on me. And it's almost like that has infiltrated relationships to the point where you can have a good relationship. They're a good friend if you serve each other equally. And then, oh, it's probably a bad relationship if they're getting a little bit more than, than you're getting. Right. Um, and, and that's the thought process of the looking at the past. What have they gotten? And let's look at the future. Is this worth continuing? Uh, it's like that's not a present thought. Uh -huh. That's not yeah. being in the moment with that person and just enjoying happiness, enjoying a shared moment. 
and just being with them and mm. learning about them. It's just, it's a very more mathematical, logical, rational yeah, way. Yeah, that's yeah. not really a good way to engage in a relationship. Big, big theme of mindfulness, it sounds like, in that when you aren't existing in the future, which is fear-driven, and you're not existing in the past, which is regret-driven, you, you can't think like a consumer or you mm. don't think like a consumer mm. because you're just engaging with the person in that moment. So you're being a human. Like you're actually not, <laughs> you know, because I feel like sometimes you, the way you guys are understanding and unpacking it is so like theoretical, whereas you're saying like, I'm actually feeling, you know, I'm letting mm. my heart, I'm opening oh, my good. heart, I'm being present and you have to be, in order to be present, it's not just a thinking thing, it's a feeling thing, it's a senses thing. Like you're seeing the sunset, you're feeling the breeze, like to really be present and mindful, you have to really engage fully in all the senses. And so what you've done is you've gone from thinking to feeling as well. Well, this, this, bring, this brings a story up. This brings well, a story. Well so Brooke is so good at this. I'm horrible at this. So when, we were, when I was pretty much living with them, we were in a different building, but I was always over for dinner every night. Brooke slowly but surely was chipping away at my shell, my, my shield, that I didn't, want anybody let, I, didn't want any, I didn't want to let anyone in. Mark was our boss and he hated talking about school stuff. Yeah. And I would never bother him, but Brooke would, you know, oh, there's this one student. And Mark's like, nope, nope. And then Brooke would bring up a personal question. Mark's like, tell me about that kid. Tell me about the kid at school. <laughs> <laughs> After Brooke's six months of chipping away at my... My guard, she got some of it down. I poked my head out a little bit. It was a scary place. It was a scary place. Looked out. And I remember when we had to say goodbye. And it was funny because Brooke is very in, in touch with her emotions. She, can cr she cries weekly, day. Like you were very able to cry. You're both, you don't cry. Okay, she's, she's good. She's a good cry. She's very emotionally intelligent, right? She's not afraid to cry. Let's look at it that way, okay? Because it's an expression of emotion. Whereas I, if I'm crying, it's like, oh man, something horrible has happened. Like, unless it's, unless it's a good Disney movie. <laughs> then that's an exception. When we finally said goodbye in China, Conrad and I were hugging and it was, it was overwhelming. I started, we both started crying. Yeah, it, it happened, yeah. Yeah, we both started crying and it was such an emotional moment even though I was trying to be present and not think about the future but it was sad and I was crying but I was also very happy of how deep we'd, our relationship had come and Brooke was in the back like a little kid so proud of herself just like <laughs> not <laughs> Not crying. Not a tear in her not eye. Not crying. Not a tear. She's just like so proud. You don't even care about Mark. Look at my pieces of work that I've manipulated over that the years. That is not true. That is not true. Right of reply here. Right of reply. I would, it, it was a proud moment. Don't get me wrong. I do feel very proud, but I felt like I was just, I was overwhelmed with, and I just felt so grateful to be a part of this experience. And it's one of my most memorable moments, I think, in my life. When people talk mindfulness to me, it kind of just goes over my head. I don't get it. And so I'm kind of getting it now, whereas this mindfulness is if you are, if you are in your body, I hear people say, oh, just be in your body. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? My brain is in my head, right? But it, it, feeling things, it's being present, it's noticing what is actually in front of you because I tend to solely exist in the future or the past and in abstract thought. That's mostly where where i exist but that's one of the moments i remember and so it's interesting brooke's always saying <laughs> you don't remember anything and now i know why is because if i'm here i'm just thinking oh man like what's for dinner oh, i hope man, i hope it's good um oh what happened yesterday whereas because of my propensity to be emotional i i guess connect easier in the moment and i think from having art training you're 
looking at something, you're observing something and you're, you, in order to draw something really well, you have to really see it. So there's little things that have helped me bring mindfulness, mm. but. Here, here's an example. So I was, I turned 32 just not long ago, but when I turned 30, I smoked weed for the first time. I was like, whoa. And it was weird. And I, I never knew why people did it. And I didn't do it because my older and younger brother were like essentially potheads in high school. So I was like, no, don't do this. It's stupid. Don't smoke weed. I'm not doing it. And I just learned that practice of saying no. Mm-hmm. And then I got legalized in Canada. And I'm like, wait, this is legal now? It's like, legal. I better it's, understand it's not it. Bad. I want to understand it. So yeah, that, maybe that's not true. Who <laughs> we're not going to get into that. So I tried it. And the first time was a horrible experience, super paranoid, but we won't go into that experience. But the, what I realized after when I tried it again is what it did for me is it caused me to have a memory like a goldfish, basically. I don't know your experiences, but it caused me to just live so, like so presently. Like I, that's what it was doing to me. It was just like, whoa, I'm enjoying little things like the clouds moving, the trees whistling, the wind, the temperature, the food is so good, munchies. But everything was just like, so, like the, for the seeing it for the first time kind of yeah. idea. Like it was just keeping me there. really present. That's what happens with drugs and alcohol and maybe smoking is it just brings us into a moment. Unfortunately, that's an, those are the negative ways to bring you to a moment. Whereas better ways would be like running, yoga, surfing, meditation, like time with animals, time with children. People are unaware that they're seeking time in the present. Escaping the reality somehow. Every culture has invented alcohol or some form of inebriation. There's almost something inside everybody that tries to get to the present moment, finds it really difficult, and perhaps the one of the dangers with drugs, apart from potential health side effects, is the fact that it's, it's a shortcut to this state. And maybe through other ways and disciplines to getting to this state, whereas for me it's surfing, I don't think much when I'm surfing and I've come to really enjoy that. Surfing's probably the one time when I just start paddling in a direction and I'm not thinking, oh, I need to be over there for the wave. I'm just going. From the audience here at Hubro Cafe in, on Derby Street in Newcastle. Come along. Did the idea that everything is a moment, did that lead you to ditch the nine to five in China and start traveling? Unintentionally or subconsciously, yes. Because when you're traveling, these, these new experiences and new moments are so present all the time. For like the biggest example of that would be in India. Like I hated it and loved it equally at the same time. It was so extreme, so busy, so dirty, so chaotic. People are groping and, and pushing. It's just so much. But you have no other option to be right there. And at the end of the day, you just hit your bed and you're like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And you just reflect on like, what a crazy day. And that was so different than anything I've ever experienced in my life. And why are these people, why are the people like this? How do they grow up? And, and we go through those type of ideas. Another question we've got in, when you're interacting with people in a way that doesn't think about how long is this relation going to be, how do people relate to you? It's actually amazing because you... I've, I've learned this just through people doing it to me. And when someone approaches you really vulnerably, then it's, it's so normal and equal for you to do it right back. Zach from the audience, you've got a question? Come and, come and ask it here. If you say that looking towards the future is a fear-based emotion or thought, I, I think hope is also something concerning looking towards the future because with the reasoning of not wanting to be fearful of the future, does that then give hope the negative connotations and not wanting to look forward be, Right. with hope this is this is such a good question i don't know if this is going to fully answer but i'm going to try with this theory that i have 
I have a theory that the northern hemisphere, like where it's cold, and this is the exception of Australia, so Australia's on this, in, in this scenario, is largely su successful. The, we're, a lot of cold countries, Scandinavia, Europe, North America, these cold areas are successful. And that is a by theory. By capitalistic metrics, lots of money, yes, lots of wealth. Yes, by capitalistic metrics, right? Yeah. And why? And I think maybe it's this put away for winter mentality. You're not going to survive winter if you don't plan for the future and put away. And that's just a great way of planning for the future. So I do believe there's a great balance involved. That we can't just say the future is evil and must be present the whole time. There's definitely a balance. And I, and I think that what is the balance? I don't know. There definitely needs to be, be a balance and a thought process around it. But for myself, I just talk about the story where I don't enter those eight hours of presence, I guess, or whatever your balance is. Yeah, Becky, go for it. Do you think that because we're in like the prime of our life and in a really like privileged position that we have the luxury of this thought, whereas maybe, you know, like older people might feel different about this because they don't necessarily have the luxury of this thought. Right. And I have it written down, actually. Look what they have to deal with. Let's talk about grandparents. Wars, Great Depression. Um, these, these details were not necessarily that important. If they were to get married, that's such a luxury. Like, what a beautiful thing that was if they can finally make it back from the war and get married. Like, amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Or going through the Great Depression where they hoard everything and save everything. And then that has been passed down to my parents. And my parents can't sell or get rid of anything. They've been trying to sell their house for 10 years. They can't do it. They're stricken by the fear. And they have that hoarding mentality because it's, it's, they've been successful doing that. And now for the first time, this new generation, I guess, is, is embracing more a minimalistic approach and being free from not only physical clutter, but mental clutter. And I think we, you're absolutely right. We have the luxury of entering into this thought because our previous parents and grandparents, I don't think they had it. And I think you're absolutely right. It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You've got shelter, belonging, oh, belonging's a little bit higher in the tier, but then <laughs> self-actualization, which is basically what we're doing right now, is the very, very top of the tier. And I feel like you can only really dip into that top tier and then you come back down and you other things worry you but as the generations have been going through they're spending more and more time in that top part of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and that's why we can have conversations like this and engage in this kind of way it is a luxury that we haven't really experienced before and I know for me like I'm doing exactly what I'm doing because I have the security that my parents have built for me and I couldn't be who I am and think the way that I think and do the jobs that I do if I didn't have that base. That brings us to the end of another episode. Everybody, thanks for listening. If you want to follow and keep up with what Mark is doing as he works his way around the world, you can follow him on Instagram at MarkHarrison4 and also on YouTube, you can see the latest videos he's been working on uploading. Remember to keep an eye on our Ideas Digest Instagram for any updates on upcoming events and maybe a live stream or two. Uh, we live streamed that episode and guys, I have got to tell you, it was blowing up. Had, had about three people tune in at one point and, you know, let's face it, I'm not sure that the Instagram platform could probably handle any more than that. So uh, we maxed it out. So, so that's good. If you have any topic ideas you'd like us to cover or want to say hi or share some thoughts, you can send us a DM on Instagram or an email to ideasdigest at gmail.com. Remember, throw us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend, tell your mum, tell your dad, and let's just expand the listener base and 
cast the net wide for more people to include, more perspectives to listen to, and more people to learn from. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll catch you next time.